Welcome to the Anti-Noise Experience, podcast endurance noise and random musings. It's Tuesday, October 27, 2020. Hard to believe that October is almost over and just two months left of uh, 2020. Um, the smoke is back in Bakersfield. You can probably hear it in my voice. We go out every morning and walk in, and this morning we get back after a pretty slow walk, and you look at my Fitbit, and my gosh, it's all orange. And, you know, it's just because the air quality guess it's kind of like our altitude training or at least that's what I used to tell the kids when I was coaching Bakersfield High from 2006-2009 and we were running in the heat and the smoke and the bad air quality I'd say hey it's our altitude and you know of course they have shown that at least heat does benefit you like altitude um, speaking of some benefits I saw this article the other day and um, it, it's kind of old actually 2017 I guess they retweeted it Brad Stuhlberg who I like and often do some of his stuff on my endurance twitter he wrote this article and it says three simple ways to get better at getting better and it's kind of weird though it says every world-class performer from athletes to chess players to musicians follow these rules to keep improving at their disciplines and i i i understand it could say a lot of world-class performers but every world-class performer i don't think so in fact um speaking of world-class performers christian coleman our great 100 meter 200 meter runner who you know won the world championships and probably would have been winning the Olympics this year. You know he's now been suspended for two years for missing um, drug tests and not missing them. Being they're supposed to, they have to put down where they're going to be. And he's had like three unknown whereabouts, and you're kind of like going, dude, you just have one job. You know, especially once you get you know you get one. Understand? You know, you say you're going to be here and you're not there. You know, after you get the second one, after you get one, you're a multimillionaire and you've got people looking out for you you should have somebody keeping track of it and you know when you get two you should really be on top of it and so i guess on the third one he was out christmas shopping instead of being home because you have to say where you're going to be just crazy so they're like right there so he's not doing anything on how to get better because you can't get better if you can't even compete so unfortunate for him but you know they, they've got to do something there's just like the 400 meter gal i think she runs for bahrain she just got out of getting suspended. Kind of the same reason Christian Coleman at one time did, because they're like, well, it hasn't been three in a year because of some technicality. And she got off on a technicality. You know, and it would be a pain to have to tell people where you're going to be at all times. But, you know, that's just the way, uh, at least track and field. And I've talked about that often, you know, that, you know, you don't see that in professional sports. Like, you know, I would call them professional sports, but it's kind of true. You know, football, basketball, baseball, they have players unions. And one of the reasons they're successful in making more money is because the players have a say in it. And one of the things they have a say in is when and if they're going to get tested. So, anyways, a sidetrack there. So, it does say every world-class, it's a lot of world-class athletes, chess players, musicians, Follow these rules and keep improving at their disciplines. Speaking of chess players, I talked about the uh, the, the thing on Netflix, the series on the Queen's Gambit. Definitely highly recommend watching that. So it says, um, back when in high school, it's, he used to see a sign that says, practice doesn't make perfect, pract- perfect practice makes perfect. Unfortunately, none of my coaches ever designed exactly what constitutes perfect practice. But in reporting for his new book, Peak Performances, Elevate Your Game, Avoid Burnout, and Thrive with New Science of Success, I learned that a lot of the world's best athletes, and here you see even the author says, I learned a lot from the best, a lot of world's best athletes improve by following a few simple rules. Rules are a growing body of new research supports. Take on just manageable challenges, focus on deep concentration, and work in discrete blocks of time. The best part, these principles can be adapted by just about everyone to get better at nearly anything. And so Brad, I'm sure, wrote that paragraph. And then unfortunately, someone writes the paragraph 
every world-class performer. No, 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 but it's beside the point. So he talks about, you know, uh, take on just manageable challenges, focus on deep with deep concentration, and work in discrete blocks of time. And so the whole take on just manageable challenges, you know, he talks of about a big wave surfer named Nick Lamb, who in 2016 won the Titans of Mavericks. Being com- comfortable is a path to personal growth and development. It is the opposite of complacency. And I don't know if you've ever seen Mavericks, but Mavericks is this wave outside of Northern California down the road from San Francisco that when the storm comes, they get these 50, 60-foot waves. The water, I can tell you, is freezing up there. Hell, the water in, right now in Santa Monica Bay is freezing. It's always That's kind of one of the biggest mystery, one of the biggest disappointments of my life was I moved out to California in junior high. And, you know, we moved in Bakersfield in August. It was 110 out. And so my parents were like, hey, let's go to the beach. So we drove to this place called Pismo. We get there. It's cloudy and cold and overcast. And you're thinking, okay. And, you know, I strip down. We run. We hit the water, and we turn right back. And it was like 58 degrees, and it was August. You know, on the East Coast, you have a continental shelf. The water's nice and warm, and you can go, you know, in Maine, the water's warm. It's probably 70-something in the summertime. And, of course, in, like, Florida, Texas, it's, like, too warm. In fact, you can walk, like, a half mile out, and you're only waist high. Um, Pacific Ocean gets deep really fast. So, anyways, but that's, you know, you definitely need to get some focus. And you see them surfing those big waves, and you're thinking, wow, how do you learn to ride those big things? Just like kind of I used to skateboard. You know, I used to ride ramps and pools, and I thought that was pretty crazy, but it was manageable. You know, but then you start seeing BMX guys doing stuff, which was pretty crazy. But then when the motorcycle guys came out and started doing backflips and things, yeah, definitely, you were definitely pushing your thing. This article, he does talk about elite American runner Sarah Hall puts it like this. The workouts that are on the outer edge of what I think is possible, the ones that really challenge me, they tend to produce the biggest payoff. What's kind of nice is he calls her an elite athlete, elite American runner, even though back in 2017 she really wasn't. So he kind of is predicting the future because obviously in 2019 she had a 222 at uh, the uh, Berlin and then was the fastest at London with a 220-something, and now she's actually the uh, American record holder for the fastest not-male uh, single-sex race. So Lamb and Hall are referring to a concept that researchers call skills for str- skills from struggle. In short, studies have found that most profound learning occurs after a period of struggle, struggle and even failure. Um, and there's some papers, research shows that um, there are vast benefits in allowing people to explore struggle and even fail at tests that are beyond their zone of proximal development. And that's definitely true. That's the whole point. You kind of, you know, put people. Um, I remember years ago when I was coaching high school, I went to my first state meet track meet down in LA and this is probably it's when German Fernandez won the 1600 and 3200 he ran almost four flat for the 16 and he broke the national record in the 32 but what I really remember was Alex Kaczynski who ran up in Northern California and later on ran for Eugene and I mean Eugene she ran for Oregon and um and she was from Northern California where it's not a hot bed of running like Southern California. And I remember we were sitting behind our coaches like on Friday, cause Friday's when the prelims are. And she just qualified for the finals, ran really well. In fact, she was running against Jordan Hasse, who's now an elite marathoner. And I remember listening to her coaches and her coaches saying, you know, we're so glad we, it was such a great plan. We're so glad we came down here and had her race in Southern California as much as possible because where she was up in Northern California, you know, she was crushing everybody, but they needed to put her in things that were, so she was a little over her head. And so she got her ass handed to her sometimes, but she learned and developed and, and ended up doing really well. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, Jordan, 
I can't remember the exact results, but she placed really well. And like I said, had a good career um, in Eugene. And I, in fact, I still see her on Instagram. And now she's uh, still work. She works for Nike and she's like teaches yoga and still in amazing shape. And so it's kind of, but I mean, just using that as an example, her coaches realize like, yeah, she can be a big fish in a little pond up here in Northern California. But if she really wants to get onto the national stage, we need to go find competition that pushes her. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we have here in Bakersfield for the longest time is we wouldn't seek out that competition. In fact, if you watch like cross country, that documentary I've been talking about with Great Oak and Newberry Park, they do the same thing. Like Great Oak goes out and competes against the best as often as possible to challenge yourself. So it says, this isn't to say that you should take on impossible challenges, but rather just manageable ones, workouts and movements that are a little more intense and complex than what you're accustomed to. Um, they set, they call it the flow channel, somewhere between anxiety and boredom. If you're legitimately anxious, it's probably worth scaling the challenge back. But if you're completely confident or worse yet bored, you're not getting any better either. You want to be in the middle, according to this study. Aroused, but not so much that you can't focus. And I can definitely say that, you know, I, you know, my, probably my races that I'm best at, which I'm having difficulty now doing is the, you know, the multi-day, like I think 48 hours, my favorite event in six days, a little bit rough because, you're out there for six days going around around circles but it's kind of interesting like when i went and did my first six day my goal was 300 um i was a little bit anxious about it but not you know but i knew it was doable and but i wasn't completely confident and i got it but then the next couple times i was going and i just bit off too much like it's true i was going for 400 and i'd get anxious and um ended up blowing up spectacularly two or three times so every time i went for 400 i'd blow up and get like 260 270 and then when i went back when i went back my fourth year across the years where i just needed a thousand i need to i want to get my thousand mile jacket um all i needed was 312 and i was perfectly good i wasn't bored completely but my problem like i said in a six-day race is getting 300 um is almost become like yeah i can do it if that's my only goal but going for 400 is too much so i probably need to do is like go for like um, 350 or you know maybe uh, 600k but we shall see because who knows when i'll ever be able to do another in-person six-day race i am putting on a race um, it's completely free it's just a virtual race called six days in the home uh spoof of the six days in the dome and we're going to be doing it from december 28th to january 3rd or something like that my friend scott burton who i've done six-day races with we kind of came with the idea so come join us. Um, of course, I'm at home by myself. I'm not going to get any kind of mileage. Um, then, of course, the other part of the uh, equation is challenge yourself, but don't challenge yourself too much. Um, practice deep focus. And, of course, the book, 2008 Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell popularized the 10,000-hour rule, which is the notion that the main thing it, thing it takes to become an expert is something is 10,000 hours of practice. And his work was based on... A Swedish psychologist, Erikensen, whose actual findings said something different. Developing expertise, he found, is not about practicing for a certain number of hours, but it's the focus that is brought to those hours. So it wasn't really putting in 10,000 hours. It was you've got to have focused, focused practice. And he says he studied hundreds of world-class performers, from athletes to chess players to musicians, discovered what separates the best from the rest is their intention with what which they practice. His research demonstrates that most effective way to practice is to limit all distractions, devoting your full attention to mastering a specific goal. He coined this deliberate practice. And Steve Magnus, a running coach at University of 
Houston and to many pros says deliberate practice means ditching the smartphone off the music and sometimes even the watch to get the most out of key workouts. You need to be completely present, internalizing how your body and mind feel and respond to certain effort levels. According to Magnus, this is a theme that holds true across all sports. If you really want to master skill or effort level, you need to be completely there in the process of doing so. And I really think that's true. And that's one of the reasons where, you know, I train a lot on my own. And, you know, as if you listen to my podcast, I distract myself off and do the first half of my workout um, with Blanco or I listen to podcasts. And then the second half, I kind of listen to music because the music at least kind of gets me moving. In fact, the music I listen to mainly is like Above and Beyond's podcast, EDM, electronic techno type type of stuff. And I also listen to Paul Oakenfield just to kind of run. I like the rhythm of it. It's easy to run to. It's like I, I also like to run to like hip-hop and R&B, but I kind of run out of that stuff. I can't run to rock. I'm trying to run to Tom Petty. I know people who can run to rock, but that 4-4 beat isn't conducive. But when I'm really doing a hard workout, I generally save that for when I'm with other people. Like this past weekend, I went out and did seven or eight miles with the high club. Well, I'm pretty much focused that day. I don't have the headphones on. I you know, take a picture here and there, but I'm basically trying to get a good workout. Or like tonight, we'll have probably have the bass. Sorry about that. I always have my phone on Do Not Disturb, actually, so that calls don't interrupt me because who knows what I'm doing most of the day. But the alarm does interrupt me, and the alarm had to go off at 3 o'clock because with darn DoorDash, if you want to get the good hours, you have to schedule six days in advance. So at 3 o'clock, you get to start a schedule for next week on Monday. So it's like six days in advance, and you got to get on real fast. And so I thought actually I was doing the podcast and doing my schedule. I was multitasking when I'm talking about focus, which would be kind of silly. So I was sitting there talking for a few minutes and then realized that the alarm turned my microphone off. Um, in fact, it's just kind of well, anyways, but DoorDash is annoying. But if I get the right schedule, if you work from 5 to 10 in the morning, you get like 3 to $5 bonuses. So you can actually make 60 70 bucks in like two hours and go home and only do five or six orders. So that's what I was doing. So I left off talking about, you know, that you need deliberate practice. And, of course, if you're a musician and um, – violinist or chess player like I was watching that Queen's Gambit you definitely have to have focused practice and study but I'm sure also even in those sports or <coughs> endeavors there's the, the smoke cough you definitely have to have some just free time and just fun play and that's what I kind of think of in my own training on my own is just putting in the miles hardening the body and building up my base but when I want to focus I train with other people and then I you know definitely when I'm training or like out of the hike or with the run club um, I don't look at my phone or like, even have it on usually and get a good workout in and really focus on the things I'm trying to look at. Um, it's either a pace I'm trying to hit or also my form and things like that. So besides focusing, you also need to break up your time into discrete blocks. Reaching outside your comfort zone and doing it, doing so with 100% focus is draining. No surprise then that in his years of studying elite performances, Performance, Erickson learned that across all fields, even the best struggle to sustain intense work and deep concentration for more than two hours. Outside of rare short-term situations, once this threshold is passed, the work becomes futile. For example, in his most famous study, The Role of Deliberate Practice in the Acquisition of Expert Performance, Erickson found that the best violinists in the world practice in chunks of between 60 and 90 minutes, followed by brief rest periods. 
Additional research has shown that the ideal break should last anywhere between 6 to 30 minutes. Beyond 90 minutes, and the quality of the sessions begin to suffer. And you'll see that if you look, and I've studied all the uh, elite athletes in the world, and they basically, a distance that is, you know, and they do a morning practice of 60 to 90 minutes, and then they come out in the evening and do more work. And that's more of a physical limitation, but also just a mental practice. You know, obviously, like with swimmers and cycling, you can train a little bit more, or the CrossFit guys I was just studying, but you do want to break it into chunks and that's kind of what i'm doing now i was getting a little bit crazy and doing two three hours in the morning and now i'm trying to do like that 60 to 90 minutes and then take a break and go back out in the afternoon and do it again and so besides the mental part the upper limit is also important in athletic debtors for starters about 90 minutes glycogen or your muscles primary fuel source runs low but equal as important is what happens psychologically much like your body the mind fatigues as well um and occasionally, you know, uh, Magnuson actually has his athletes do mental puzzles and games like the Stroop test in which one must quickly report the appearance of color that's overlaid on top of the text of another color. He does this to strengthen his abil- athlete's ability to focus under fatigue. He says it's equally important to simply let them rest once an hour. Once you go beyond an hour in a hard workout, concentration suffers, even the athletes who are mentally strong. And because they said there are, of course, exceptions to the 90-minute rule, like the long workouts that are linchpins, of so many endurance and adventure sports, but it's best to keep workouts that target the development of a new skill or ability to internalize a certain movement or effort level time bound. And that's basically what it's saying is if you want to get the best out of your workouts, you know, limit it to 60, 90 minutes and definitely, you know, outside distractions. And of course, when you're in a race, you know, even like you said, you know, half marathon or marathon, you really need to just let the early miles go by with as least mental or physical um, on you and I used to like the 10-10 rule where you know the first 10 miles of a marathon you should just be out there having fun flow, go with the flow don't push just run and be comfortable the next 10 miles you want to focus you know and keep you know check your breathing see how your legs are feeling you know really focus and and, and you know that kind of like they're talking about really concentrate on what's going on you know, and then the last 10K is where you just fight. And so it's kind of like the three F's. You know, the first 10 miles is fun. The next 10 miles is focus. And the last 10K, 6.2 miles, is where you fight, where, you know, you put in the work and now you need to just do everything you can to get to the finish line as strong as possible. And that's kind of the way it works. So good article by Brad Stuhlberg, even though it's a few years old, but um, talking about, you know, the key things are um, is uh, take on just manageable challenges, focus with deep concentration, and work in discrete blocks of time. And so, you know, yeah, you can go out, and especially like the 80-20 rule, you know, three or four days a week, you just go out and put the miles in. But then one day or two a week that you're really putting in the, you know, the real workouts, you know, focus, you know, um, you know, make it a little challenging, hit a time or a distance that you're not quite comfortable with. You know, because like I said here, it says you don't want to be <clears throat> super, super anxious about a workout, but you also don't want to be bored. In fact, I find a lot of people really get that anxiety about workouts. And definitely, if you're having that issue, you need to maybe scale back the uh, goals of the workout and or talk to your coach and say, hey, because I know especially when I was coaching high school, kids would really get anxious about a workout and you don't want that. But you also don't want to be like just going through the motions because the whole idea is you do want to get better at it. So anyways, as always, stay healthy, be boring, not epic.